comes from Luke chapter 23, um, and we're starting at verse 32. Um, So in my pew Bible, that's at um, page 1,105. Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of, of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine and vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. For this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, hello again. Uh, it's great to see you. Let me, let me pray one more time. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for that wonderful part of your word. As we come to it now, uh, we confess we need you desperately. Uh, we need you to speak to us by that word, by your spirit. Uh, we need you to break down our natural resistance to your rule over our life. We need you to encourage us, Father to step out of this church and love and serve you again and serve others as well. Our Father, we pray, please show us the Lord Jesus. Show us how wonderful he is. Show us the joy it is to live for him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, As mentioned earlier, it's my great uh, privilege to spend uh, much of my days uh, with university students. And I've been doing that for a number of years now. And I can tell you, from my years of experience... If there's one phrase guaranteed to get the attention of any and every university student, this is it. This will be on your final exam. Friends, if you ever want to get the attention of a university student in any place, then all you need is those seven words. In fact, it's almost like you could walk onto any campus at any place and then at any volume, just whisper those words. And everything stops. Ears are pricked up. Everyone turns. It's a bit like a dog whistle for university students. This will be on your final exam. Uh, In fairness, I can remember, of course, when it was exactly that way for me too. Uh, When I was a student, uh, and if you were one of those two one day, I wonder if this was like this for you. If ever the teacher wanted to get your full, undivided, uninterrupted, complete attention, this was all they had to say. I know for me it was like having 40,000 volts put straight up through my chair, 20,000 Red Bulls pulled straight back down my throat. I'm awake now. Let's go. I'm listening. What do you want to say? Tell me what I need to know. This will be on your final exam. And the reason I tell you that tonight and remind some of you of that tonight is because as we come to this part of the Bible in Luke chapter 23, and I want to say as we come to Easter yet again this year, Well, I want to say that's the effect it ought to have on us. 
uh, like, a, like a dog whistle for university students, like, like 40,000 volts, uh, like 20,000 Red Bulls. What we hear tonight from this part of God's Word and what we hear again this year when it comes to Easter ought to make us sit up and drop everything and give our complete undivided attention. Why? Well, because the fact is, this will be on your final exam. And not just when it comes to school or uni, if you're there, where the, where the difference is credit, distinction, pass, fail. No, I mean your final exam. When one day you stand before God and answer to Him, this is how He'll mark your life. This is what He'll ask you about. What did you do with this message? What did you do with this man? What difference has the death and resurrection of my only son made to you? You know, I read a great little quote recently by author C.S. Lewis. And in it, he points out there was a time when if people thought about God, it was he who was the judge and they who answered to him. In their minds, it was he who gave the mark, if you like, and they who sat the exam. But, but then he goes on, in recent years, that's all changed. Now, instead, in people's minds, and can I say only in people's minds, those roles are now reversed. Now, if people now think of God, and I can tell you I've certainly seen this on campus, it's we who are the judge and God who answers to us. As if it's we who give the mark and he who sits the exam. And in the end, if he's really lucky and if he does really well, then maybe, just maybe, we'll accept him as our God. Friends, can I say, if we learn nothing else from this part of the Bible tonight, may we learn that simply isn't so. Whether for the first time, if you're new here tonight and considering Jesus for the first time this Easter, or for the thousandth time here tonight, and it's Easter all over again, may we learn that it's He who's judge and we are not. And in fact, especially as we come to this part of the Bible and to Easter, it's how we judge Him. And in particular, and especially as He dies and rises for us, it's how we judge Him that we are in fact judged. Friends, this will be on your final exam. So as we turn to our passage tonight, our exam paper, if you like, if that makes you feel good, uh, just a little context. Uh, if we'd read the story so far, uh, what would we have seen? Well, we would have seen Jesus betrayed and arrested and deserted even by those closest to him. We would have seen Jesus beaten and battered and wrongly sentenced to death. And now incredibly, scandalously, we see him crucified between two criminals. Pick it up there in your Bibles. I hope you have them open. Pick it up in your Bibles. Luke 23, verse 32. Verse 32. Two other men, uh, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, uh, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, uh, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. You know, they say the Romans had various patterns of execution, but of them all, crucifixion was the worst. 
It was reserved for scumbags and non-citizens. And basically, it was execution and torture. In fact, even more than that, it was execution by torture. It was invented to make death as lingering and as public and as painful as possible. Cicero, Roman centurion, a uh, Roman uh, statesman of the time, called it the most cruel and frightening means of execution. Uh, Josephus, a Jewish historian of the time, called it the most pitiable of all forms of death. And yet, you know, what I find fascinating is that Luke doesn't dwell on any of those things. In fact, I wonder if you notice, not once does Luke speak of the pain and the torture of Jesus' execution. You see, I don't know about you, but I can't help but wonder why. Uh, so often our books, our movies, our TV shows all focus on the pain, the shame, the blood, the gore, but, but not Luke. Why? Why doesn't he focus on what we so often focus on? Do you know the reason? It's because he wants us to focus on something else. There's something else he especially wants us to see at this first Easter. What's that? Well, first of all, it's that Jesus' crucifixion was no fluke. You see, from the start to the finish of the Bible, it's desperately keen to make crystal clear that what happened at that first Easter was no fluke. There's no kind of accident of history, no random coming together of events. Instead, what happens here is exactly what God had planned, right down to the finest detail take for example verse 32 what do we see well we see jesus dying between two criminals friends that was no fluke that's exactly what god said would happen some 500 years earlier in the book of isaiah isaiah 53 there in a chapter all about an innocent servant who suffers and dies in the place of many what does it say it says verse 9 He was assigned a grave with the wicked. Or then again, verse 12, he was numbered with the transgressors. Which is exactly what happens as Jesus dies between those criminals there on the cross. Or take, for example, the gambling for his clothes or the the mocking he endured. Those two were already planned and predicted and promised in the Scriptures. Even from 1,000 years earlier... That's four times white Australia. What did God promise in that first reading from Psalm 22? Do you remember verse 7? All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their head. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Or verse 16. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have, have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Friends, hundreds of years before the Phoenicians or the Romans had even invented crucifixion, God predicted that Jesus would die in this way. As Jesus went to the cross, it was as if everyone was following God's playbook, move by move. As if everyone was following God's script, word for word. As Peter will say in Luke's second volume, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. 
wisely telling us all of this? Well, I take it it's because he wants us to know we can trust this message. He wants us to know we can trust this book. Now, a couple of years ago, we had a great student on campus, a student named David, a Chinese student, not a Christian. He was very, very keen to investigate Christianity, and so that's what he did. And he read the Bible, as you do, uh, and he read about the Bible. And after a while, he became so convinced that what he read in the Bible was God's plan and was God's message, even before he became a Christian, he would try to convince everyone to read the Bible with us. In fact, very often, it even sounded like he was trying to convince us to read the Bible with him. I can still hear his voice in my head. It's written by many authors. Yes, we know, we'd say. It was written in many languages, he'd say. Yes, we know, we'd say. It was written over over a thousand years. Yes, we know, we'd say. And it all has the same message that Jesus Christ died and rose again. Yes, David. We know, we'd say. You see, even before he trusted Jesus, he knew he could trust this message. And friends, the question is, will we? In the face of a world that is constantly casting doubt on this, constantly calling this fable, constantly calling you crazy, I mean, if you really believe in this will you trust this message and not just tonight and not just here where it's comfortable and most of us agree but when we leave and it's less comfortable and it's more difficult will we trust this message because see luke's wants us to know that we can he wants us to know that easter was no fluke and easter was no failure I remember growing up, uh, one of my favorite songs was by the band Concrete Blonde, and no, I don't expect you to know them. And, and in it, it's, they sang this. I told the priest, don't count on any second coming. God got his backside kicked uh, the first time he came down here slumming. He had the guts to come, the gall to die, then forgive us. Now, I don't wonder why. I wonder what he thought it would get us. You see, that's what the rulers and the soldiers and even one of the criminals think too, don't they? As they gather around the cross to sneer and jeer and mock Jesus. As they mock him for being a failed king. As they mock him for being a failed saviour. As they look on Jesus and all they see is total defeat. Pick it up, verse 35. Verse 35. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself. He is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. 
You know, in the story of Beowulf, uh, the Beowulf character complains at one point that the time of heroes is dead. The Christ God has killed it, leaving us with nothing but weeping martyrs. You see, that's what the mockers think too. That's what they think of Jesus. There's, there's no strength in this. This is no hero. This is no king. This is no saviour of the world. This is nothing but yet another weeping martyr going to his death. And the question, of course, is, were they right? And if not, why not? Why didn't Jesus just get down off the cross and wipe them all out? That's what I would have done. Have you ever imagined yourself in Jesus' shoes? I always imagine myself with laser eyes getting off the cross and just twisting through the crowd. Why didn't Jesus do that? Why didn't he save himself? And of course the answer, because he chose instead to save us. Famous preacher, writer John Stott once wrote, The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. And the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. And of course, that's what's happening here. It wasn't that Jesus couldn't get down from the cross or couldn't save himself. It's simply that he wouldn't. Earlier in the garden, Jesus had told us that if he wanted 12 legions of angels to come to his defense, all he had to do was say the word. If Jesus wanted this over, this was over. And yet, incredibly, Jesus didn't want that. Instead, what he wanted was to defeat on your behalf in that moment, at that cross, everything that stands between you and God. You know, so often I think, even as Christians, when we come to the message of Easter, we can be tempted to think that at the cross, Jesus is beaten. But at the resurrection, he rises again. Which he does, but you know what I mean. At the cross, Jesus is defeated. But three days later, victory is his. But friends, we really mustn't think like that because that's really not what happened. No matter how it looked there at the cross, it was at the cross that Jesus defeated sin and death and the devil. And it was at his resurrection he declared that victory to the world. It's a bit like what happened at the famous Battle of Waterloo. Uh, if you know it from uh, more than an Abba song, uh, when the Allies, uh, under the command of Wellington, uh, defeated the French and won the war. Uh, they say that when the battle was over and the war was won, the news was hurried back to England. But of course, back then, they didn't have SMS or email, uh, not surprisingly. Instead, what they relied was a kind of flag system that would send the message from post to post to post to, to beach to, to ship to land and then into England itself. And so that's how the message was sent. But as far as the true story goes, it only got as far as, far as the Tower of Winchester Cathedral right there in England. And it started to, to signal the message 
and it came across Wellington defeated. But then at just that moment, the English fog settled in, making it impossible to read the rest of the message. And so that's all England got. And of course, the news spread throughout the city and, and everyone thought their hero had lost and the enemy had won. But, but then the fog lifted and the rest of the message could be read. And what did it say? Wellington defeated the enemy. And do you see, that's what happened here. Even if sometimes it seems so different, even as they look, it looked so different. Even if it sometimes seems covered in fog, at the cross, Jesus defeated the enemy. And friends, he really, really did. With his life in our place, Jesus has already defeated everything and anything that stands between you and God. And so the question is, the question I think Luke wants us to ask is, will you trust this man? Will you trust him with your life? Will you trust him with your hopes? Will you trust him with your, with your plans and your effort and your time and your money? Will you give your life to him who gave his life for you? Just like the second of those criminals did. Uh, people, of course, make some very strange requests uh, when death is upon them. Uh, just one example I read of once was a guy in Switzerland who on his deathbed asked that his two cows be put into a retirement home. There's one for you. Just as strangely, his very obliging township all chipped in and his deathbed request was answered. But I've got to tell you, as strange as that is, it's got nothing on this. It's got nothing on how ridiculous the request of that second criminal dying next to Jesus must have looked to everyone watching on. Pick it up there, verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. See, friends, I wonder if you can picture the scene. There are three men, each hanging from a cross, slowly dying together. No hope of reprieve. The man in the center hangs, broken on his cross, humbled, humiliated, naked except for the crown of thorns that's been driven into his head. His body is limp and broken and bloodied. Everyone around him is hurling abuse. He appears totally powerless. And then, in the face of all this, 
another of the dying men turns to that man in the middle and not secretly whispering because he's probably nailed up meters away but instead yelling out over the crowd says jesus please remember me when you return as king i mean if ever jesus looked least like a king it was now it's why the rulers and soldiers were mocking him as king that second criminal must have looked like a fool the crowd around him must have looked and laughed perhaps they turned their jeers to him for a time surely in this scene everyone has a better grasp of reality than this man and yet it didn't stop him turning to jesus somehow unlike everyone else in this scene this man sees jesus as he really is he alone sees jesus rightly and did you notice as always happens as must always happen in seeing jesus rightly he sees himself rightly too did you notice in seeing his savior he sees his sin in seeing his king he sees himself i am guilty he says but you are innocent i deserve death he says you alone can save me you know early in the gospel jesus said i have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance and a little bit later he says for the son of man came to seek and save the lost you see right here this criminal says that's me i'm a sinner i'm lost please lord remember me and what does jesus say get out of here you filthy criminal how dare you think you could speak to me how dare you think that i would remember you no that's not what he says to a convicted criminal who only asks for remembrance jesus promises rescue and relationship and the right to enter heaven with him you know in that now old movie the gladiator aurelius maximus famously said that what we do in this life echoes into eternity and so it is for this man this man who unlike everyone else in the scene was no fool because he put his trust in jesus he was no fool because in the way he judged the lord jesus he was judged right with god and friends as we wrap it up this evening can i say you too are no fool if you have done what he has done if you are submitting to jesus as king 
if you are depending on him for your salvation, you too, with that criminal, will share paradise with Jesus. So can I say, as, as I think Luke wants us to know, this Easter, don't be ashamed. Don't give up. Use those invitations. Make the most of this Easter. Friends, Easter was no fluke. Easter was no failure. And if you have changed your life because of that first Easter, you are no fool. And friends, this will be on your final exam. Let's pray.